Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Thank you for listening to the Econ Dev Show. My name is Dane Carlson, and I'm your host. I'm also the Director of Economic Development in Galveston County, Texas. Many of us work in areas where governmental agencies, be they cities or counties, or even states and countries, work together through voluntary nonprofit associations of government. Here in Greater Houston, we have the Houston-Galveston Area Council. It's the regional organization through which local governments work together considering issues and cooperating in solving area-wide problems. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to sit down virtually with Rebecca Narragon, the Economic Development Director for the United South and Eastern Tribes. United South and Eastern Tribes is exactly this, but for 33 Native American tribes. I think that there are four takeaways from my conversation with Rebecca. Number one, as Rebecca describes it, shopping local doesn't always mean purchasing products and services where you live, but can mean supporting your community wherever they are. Number two, sometimes the very act of making a list, especially of small businesses, can be empowering for a community. Knowing that they're not alone can be inspiring and uplifting for small entrepreneurs, and knowing that opportunities and resources are available in their community can make others feel more connected. Number three, together with each other, we're more resilient, even in light of huge and radical changes like we've experienced in the last year with COVID-19. And number four, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel in economic development. I hope that you enjoy the show as much as I did. Rebecca Narragon, MPA CECD, is the Economic Development Director for the United South and Eastern Tribes in Nashville, Tennessee, where she's worked for the past four years. Before that, she was a program specialist for the U.S. Department of Interior in Washington, D.C., where she worked for the Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs, Office of Indian Energy and Economic Development, Division of Economic Development. While earning her undergraduate degree at the University of Central Florida, she served two internships in Washington, D.C., first with the Department of the Treasury and then for the Department of the Interior. She earned a Master of Public Administration from American University and in 2021 earned her Certified Economic Developer designation. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her pet beta fish, and when she's not working, you'll find her working on cross-stitch or other crafts. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. So what is the United South and Eastern Tribes? Yeah, United South and Eastern Tribes, or what we affectionately refer to it as USET, is a nonprofit intertribal organization serving 33 federally recognized tribal nations from the Northeastern Woodlands to the Everglades across the Gulf of Mexico. The organization was established in 1969 and USET is dedicated to enhancing the development of tribal nations, improving the capabilities of tribal governments, and improving the quality of life for Indian people through a variety of technical and supportive programmatic services, focusing on health programs, environmental resource management, and the group that I oversee, economic development. So what does economic development look like from your perspective? What do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Yeah, there's a lot that goes in on a day-to-day aspect for economic development. Uh, I work with elected tribal leaders and their selective program managers, providing technical assistance for tribal nations as it relates to economic and community development. Definitely knowing a little bit about a lot really helps. We've structured to really have the department really focusing on resource connections and resource brokering and making those connections, focusing on evaluation and research, and then providing direct trainings, webinars, services like that. Gotcha. So am I understanding this correctly, that tribes come to USET and say, we have this need, and if it's economic development, you help fulfill that? Yeah, and that's just my portion of the overall, the USAID organization. We have two other departments. So I have colleagues and coworkers that focus on public health, technical assistance and capacities, and also environmental resource management, and then a wide host of uh, any other opportunities we connect to support our member tribal nations in executing their programs uh, to service their communities. That's fantastic. So what's an economic development project that you did recently? Yeah, one of uh, the great projects that I've had a chance to work on is gathering information and releasing a tribal enterprise directory. And that is a comprehensive listing throughout our 33 member tribal nations across a multitude of industries, a listing of just what the businesses, uh, what business activities there are. There are times, especially working Um, in Indian country that there are some misconceptions of what economic development activities are, but it's really diverse. So one of the first projects we worked on with our members is to identify those different economic activities put together in a listing, and it's all available online as a way to not only educate our members ourselves of what the diversity is, but then also connecting that information with, we have a, a, there's quite a few tribal nations that have their own 8A enterprise servicing businesses. So sharing those with other procurement specialists, procurement managers to let them know and do the networking resource introduction of there are these businesses that you could potentially procure from. And that's not not only from a federal perspective, but also a state local perspective. Sure, that makes sense. And then when you put that together, were you sort of surprised at businesses that came out of the woodwork or economic activity that came out of the woodwork? Because I know that in the past, I've done this in a small town. I was at the small town in California and they received a grant to highlight the businesses that made things locally. And so we put together a directory for them. And I know that in the meetings leading up to the development of this directory, there was this idea that there were maybe five or six local businesses that would qualify. And it turned out that we had more than 100. And then we had more than 200. And the things just kept popping up. The very act of creating a directory helped to bring these things out of the shadows. To People were in their homes doing their business from their kitchen table or in you know their living room in front of the television. And this gave them an opportunity to come out and be public about what it is they were doing. And everyone was very surprised. So it was like that for you as well. Oh, absolutely. As it stands right now, and we realized that this, any sort of directory activities like this, it's a living 
breathing activity, there's always changes, always additions or edits that need to be made. So it's not a plant the pole and be like, we're done. It's constant uh, work. But as it stands right now, the directory lists over 600 individual business activities or programs across, I believe right now, 20 different industry sectors. And we strategically modeled those industry sectors and were inspired by the Nexus code. So as we work with procurement specialists, made sure to really borrow some of the language so it wasn't too much of a barrier of, okay, how does this fit with what we already know? And that was really exciting. We have had a chance, even in our first iteration, that was released about four years ago. We've really expanded that industry, the different industry listing. Because as you mentioned, as you start engaging in this work, you learn a lot more and you start seeing some more of those connections. And especially for economic development in Indian country, one of those is... uh, when we take a look at like state level data, we can take a look at the healthcare industry through states or communities. And the healthcare industry is obviously a really active player within local economies. Within Indian country, it's sometimes uh, within communities, it's not viewed as an economic development. It is a community resource, but there's also economic ties to that. So we took an opportunity in this latest iteration that we include the tribal health clinic. I'm a citizen of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. My own tribal nation has a eye clinic to purchase from different eyeglass needs or servicing. And I don't live close to my tribal nation, but when it was coming up for my yearly prescription, and I wanted to purchase new eyeglass needs. I was thinking about going down the street here in Nashville to buy glasses, but I was like, wait a minute. I have a tribal clinic that sells eyeglasses just just like anyone else. Why I need to make that investment and support my own community's economy. So I worked with the staff at the Eyeclare Clinic ordered my glasses. They got them mailed to me. Very, just like us purchasing items online. It was very fast, very efficient. And I not only got the product that I needed, but I also know that I supported uh, my community. It's a shop local campaign that is not exactly local, but it's buying from your community. Absolutely. And we also consider uh, different housing programs uh, and the renting. And then we've also been expanding into other energy utility services because especially for Indian country, tribal nations are sovereigns onto themselves. So just as other municipalities, cities, states, tribal nations have all those services available to their community and should be invested in. And I know for myself, just speaking as a tribal citizen, I look for those opportunities to make that investment as much as I can. When it's available. So not living in the community, sometimes it's a little bit, it takes a little more innovation to do that. Sure. It, it take, you, you have to jump through a few more hoops to, to make that happen. But I can see that's important to you and it, it's important to everyone to support their community. And so I appreciate that. So how about, let's talk this last year, we, we've all experienced COVID in various ways and shapes and forms. How did that impact economic development and for you? 
Yeah, especially with the communities that I work with and that I work on behalf for, uh, it was obviously an unprecedented time and really impacted the economic development activities in tribal communities. For those nations that have large hospitality entertainment properties, we saw 100% closure of those properties for a set amount of time. And that's really impactful because some folks are not aware that tribal nations do not have a tax-based revenue that other municipalities typically work with to help fund community services. The tribal hospitality and entertainment properties fulfill that area for revenue generation. So as there was a 100% closure of those properties, obviously as people were isolating, there was no revenue coming in to support tribal government programs. Since then, just as with other communities, properties have uh, reopened. One of the public health programs that you said manages and hosts is a regional tribal epidemiology center. And so we've been working, our, our members have been working with epidemiologists to tracking local numbers that as their uh, revenue generation, revenue generating properties and activities come on board that they do with a mindset of what's going on in the community in terms of testing numbers and the now vaccination rate to make sure that's done as safely um, as possible. So that was definitely one of the biggest impacts into what was going on in addition to, and you might've seen uh, definitely underrepresented communities were hit harder than some and others. So tribal communities were not only facing an economic impact, but obviously a huge impact into our communities, our families, um, seeing rates much higher than other communities across the country. And just that, that had an impact into a lot of the um, community spirit with our nations, but not to, to be able to gather that impacted our ceremonies, connections, families coming together. So that has definitely taken a hit as much as we've been able to been shifting into virtual realms, just like what we're doing here. Definitely Zoom <laughs> and virtual meetings, conference calls, but then building into that infrastructure has been a bit of a hurdle, especially early on of just, and I think that was for the case for a lot of folks of this is a whole new way of doing business, but it was pretty exciting. I trying to see some of the silver lining and the opportunities for this new sort of way of working. This past year, I've had a chance to participate in a virtual language class that my tribal nation has sponsored. So typically the language classes, which our language unfortunately has been going through a revitalization. It was at one point and I believe still is almost extinct, our particular dialect. So we've been working to revitalize and rebuild our language program. And before COVID would the classes would be available for in-person at the community, but I don't live in my community, so I wasn't able to participate as much as I was able to. Well, now everything has gone virtual, so for about, I think it was 12 or 16 weeks over the last summer into fall, was able to participate virtually in a language class, and I'm able to learn uh, some introduction and some other basics of uh, sure. the Muscogee Creek language. That's fantastic. That absolutely illustrates the silver lining in all of this. The move to digital first and the idea that we need to make services available online as the primary way, the, the first way that we provide them. And I, and I think this is an excellent example. I'm sure that the class 
probably had more students participate than it ever did when it was in person, just because everyone was able to do it on their own time and from their own home. And there's been a lot of you know, darkness over us the last year and absolutely the, the breakdown in community. We've all felt that. But I, I think that there are some great lessons that we're going to take out of this and we're going to be changed as a people going forward. And ultimately, things are going to get better. They are going to improve and we're, we're all going to move forward from this stronger and better. I'm glad to hear that. Especially with the communities that I work with and my previous work of supporting youth into this space and interns, we always talk about as tribal citizens, as indigenous people, we are very resilient. And we have been working through pandemics and major disruptions into how our communities function since 1492. There's an argument even before then. So we are resilient people. We will come over this, but it's just really important to remember that. And it's been really great to see some other ways of how that resiliency has manifested. And so one way was the virtual language classes. One other way I've seen that really come to fruition is through social media. So I mentioned earlier, uh, the quarantine and isolation really affected communities, um, cultural practices and ceremonies, but then that also leads into the economic impact of those fairs, of those gatherings. And that's where a lot of our artisans, crafters, our small local entrepreneurs have really been impacted. It's been really exciting to see that shift all virtually, mainly what I, I that I've been seeing it is on the Facebook platform, where now there is a virtual, what, what it, I hope I get the name correct but it's a virtual social distance powwow and they created a entire social distance powwow almost economic forum almost to where individuals can post of I'm an artist I make these earrings or I design these shirts or I design this art and they have them available and that just opens up the experience that also opens the opportunity for knowledge sharing not just within the confines of that particular event in that particular area, but it expands it up to internationally. That's phenomenal. That's absolutely phenomenal. You brought up the past, so let's talk about that a little bit. You were with the Department of the Interior. What'd you do there? That was actually the office that I interned with one summer. <laughs> and that particular office, I does a lot. It's not just economic development. Uh, even in the title, there was a division of energy and mineral mm -hmm. development. Right. So I learned a lot about the energy sector. I spent some time, they over, that office implements and oversees uh, a loan guarantee program. So that's where I learned more, not only in the execution of economic development, I learned more about the financials side and particularly loan guarantees investment there. I actually started some of my first activities and work in that office with workforce development and job placement training programs. So I did a lot in that time. When I was an intern, the very first project I worked on was the implementation of the Energy Policy Act of 2005 and worked on that whole process of how do you get rules implemented in right. the federal sector. Wow. Yeah. You've had such an interesting career. You've been able to touch so many different pieces from workforce to energy. It, it's just amazing that you've ended up 
uh, where you are. It sounds like doing what you love. What do you think has been the most impactful or been even the most impactful, not even necessarily to anyone else, but maybe to you? What's impacted you the most? I think it's it wasn't just one event. I think what has really resonated with me have been my opportunities to work with our Indigenous youth. And that's not only for me being a former intern and then now going back as times uh, when the program, which unfortunately is now closed, but they would ask alumni to come back and speak to current students. So when I had, so either through the chance just to present and talk in front of them, I mentioned, I was actually just talking the other day with one of my friends was reminiscing uh, a few years ago, there was a tribal youth summit in Washington, D.C., and I was just working on some activities. It was when I was still at Department of Interior, but I knew I had a visiting contention or cohort of tribals uh, youth from my community. And even though I wasn't born and raised in my community, I reached out to their advisors and said, hey, I'll host you for lunch. And I really just went up to up the street to Subway and just got a bunch of different subs. And we just sat around the table and was able to talk about my work. I uh, was able to use that effectively and say, I want to know more about youth engagement. How can we work more and connect? So it was a working lunch. But then there was also, there was a project that I really enjoyed working on where primarily through the energy program was a youth science act competition. And the winners of the um, competition were invited to come to DC and we had a big award ceremony with the secretary and they got a certificate and they were able to talk about more about their project. But I worked with, it was indigenous youth. It was through a really great organization called ACES, American Indian Science and Engineering Society. But one of the core community cultural values for a lot of indigenous people is the concept of responsibility. So I was like, we're going to take this time. We're going to have these youth out to Washington, D.C., but it's a responsibility that I wanted to share with them, but it's a responsibility for them to understand the nature of tribal federal policy and how the work in Washington, D.C. is done that affects them and their communities. So was able to set up meetings. They had an entire day up on Capitol Hill and to meet with their representatives, but then also representatives in on the Senate and congressional side, the House side, excuse me, uh, that worked in Indian country. And it was fulfilling that from the very first meeting of the day, how they might have stumbled and was really like shy and um, sometimes more introverted. By the end of the day, they were answering questions that the senators have and was getting really nuanced. And it was just great to see that growth, even in just six hours. Right, exactly. Uh, so that was a problem. As I think back, just me personally, that was definitely some great experiences. Professionally, it's been working on the tribal enterprise directory and other tangible activities that that work actually started years ago. And it's been a lesson I've taken in my career with economic development is, you know, it, stay with some 
take the, to continue that tenacity and stick with projects that you believe and you have faith in and that if it's a no it's a no right now but keep with it consider it because eventually it, you will get to the point you hopefully you will get to the space that you can reach all the goals that you have said or idolized for that particular project. So the, one of those was the Tribal Enterprise Directory. And then it was getting my certification as economic developer. So let's talk about that. Any tips for those who are studying? What, what was it like? What was the process like for you? It was a very interesting process. I couldn't, it, it made me reflect a lot on my education. And I was like, oh, it's been a long time since I took a standardized. Some of the tips that worked out for me that I would definitely love to share is it, sometimes for me being visual, flashcards really helped me for the multiple choice, really getting those key concepts down. But then for the essay and then definitely the interview, it's all about applying that into your real life experience or in the real world context. So I do remember there was like one question on the essay. I want to say that I hadn't, I studied it. I hadn't had a professional, like a real life experience with that topic and it's great working with you and other listeners that we know how diverse economic development is. I would say when I first started in my career, I had a very narrow view definition of economic development. But so I panicked when I saw this question on the test because I was like, I haven't actually worked with that. But one of the one of my mentors gave me advice is, okay, how would you work that in real life? So just having that time to shift that paradigm of, okay, maybe not how I've actually done it and not to be that, oh, well, I haven't worked on this, but it, uh, using that language of this is how I would incorporate, or this is how I would work this project uh, if it worked. And it's definitely for the interview, that's really key to talk about that experience, but then talk about your wide breadth. I actually did not pass the first time I signed up and took it a second time. So definitely stay with it. But I feel like that was one of my biggest hurdles I had to overcome for the second time when my interview, I think I narrowed my scope and talking because I just made this career jump and I joined this org. So a lot of what I was speaking to, I thought had to be tangible in life. And so I spoke in those last three to four years <laughs> at that time, realizing that I had a whole different history before then that I neglected. So that was one of, uh, one of this advice that I took into the second time taking it was um, thinking more holistically or more broadly about my entire depth and experience with economic development. I, I think that's important to to understand the breadth of experience that we all have and bring to the table and not be so focused just on the last project we were involved with or the last job we had. I, I can see that being the case. It's very interesting to hear that you went once and didn't pass and then got back on that horse and tried again. And you know that I think that's inspiring for a lot of people. Everybody says it's so difficult. I haven't taken the test, but everyone says it's so difficult. And I think that in a very real sense, I'm sure that's true. But at the end of the day, it's about 
getting back up and, and trying again and doing it and, and putting in the work. We put in so much work as economic developers for all kinds of things. So we can put in the work for our own career advancement or skill expansion. So I'm really glad to hear that you did that. Are there some people who have been influential for you, who have been really helpful for you in your career? Um. Absolutely. I, I also wanted to share just one other tip that I had, and this came from one of my uh, co-workers. Uh, she received her certification in her field of study, but as she was going through, and definitely something that I did is wrote encouraging notes on top or come in with that sort of winner mindset almost. And I don't, I, I don't want, I almost maybe not winner mindset, but especially for the interview, you're able to, or at least for myself, like I had notes to make sure that I could follow through. And at the very top of the page of notes, I said, you will pass. And did that encouragement pat on of you got this, especially that second time, that was a bit of a mental hurdle that I had to jump. And I was like, maybe I don't have this, but I just wrote those encouraging notes just to remind myself that if there are times that you're like, oh, I'm not sure, I have no idea how to answer that question. There were some, some times where I was like, I have no idea. So we're just going to answer the best that we can. It was really nice to have those um, encouraging remarks. So Definitely, it, it helped her. It helped me. So I feel like it has two success marks that it might help some others. That's that's right. Two for two thus far. So that's right. that'll probably be super helpful. Um, to get to your message about people that have had a a lot of influence into myself in my career. I really came down to three major areas. First is my family and community. My grandfather was tribal chairman for my community for over 25 years. He retired a few years ago, has over, I think has 48 years of service to uh, tribal government and servicing the tribal nation. He actually led our community during the federal recognition struggles and was part of the early fight for that. My aunt served time as tribal administrator. I've had other family members that now work and are leaders and managers within tribal programs. I have had others who volunteered who have served. My mom served on the Economic Development Board of Directors and was one of the only women and one of the few women in the history of that board. Uh, so really proud of that service. And and it's all of those experiences, it's all of that that really pushes me day in, day out to do the work that I've chosen to do and work with tribal nations. My work at Department of Interior was more of a national scope, working with all now 574 fairly recognized tribal nations. And now in the work with you said, I work with 33 member tribal nations and their communities, but we're all connected and uh, having a network across the country and economic development in Indian country. If there's questions or concerns, we um, reach out to folks and say, hey, have you been struggling with this? Or do you know a possible answer to this area? Or when we're working on a particular area of issue of concern, collaborating and working together as a unified voice. So that that has been really impactful uh, to me and 
especially the service of my grandfather and the leadership, but then also other tribal leaders uh, in the community that have been my mentors that I don't know if I've had a chance to share with them just yet, but I view them within that mentor space. Just a few years ago, my tribal nation elected our very first woman, tribal chairwoman. So really thankful for the leadership and the community for, for those advancements. I would say the second area that I really focused on that had a major influence in my own personal growth and my professional growth is through my participation in youth programs and internships. I know that was part of my introduction, but uh, there was a youth program uh, back in high school that I participated that really has set it, 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 it has had a huge impact in my life. And that was actually through the USED organization. We have, I believe now we're getting closer to our 25th anniversary working with a program called Close Up. Uh, Close Up is a youth program that brings high school age students to Washington, D.C. to learn about the three branches of government. And while USED hosts a meeting in Washington, D.C. with tribal leaders, we work with the close-up program to have a youth component. And that's where I participated. And that's where I first learned about federal tribal relations and got that bug of what is political science and what do I want to study? And then that led into public administration and then learning more about economic development. And actually through that entire program, I... So I wasn't born and raised in my community, but I was part of, I was just learning everything. And there was an older student as an alumni, his name is Marcus, and we connected and he taught me some of my first Muskogee Creek words. And we just stayed connected that I graduated high school, was going to college and reconnected again through email. I was like, have you heard about this internship program? This is if you really like DC, maybe you should do this internship program. And that was called Washington Internships for Native Students, WINS. We love our acronyms. We love our alphabet soup. And that was the internship program through American University. And through that program met one of uh, a great mentor, but then also now a, just a wonderful friend. His name is Jack Soto. We interned together learned a lot. And then after I finished graduating college, I go, I think I want to do this a lot more. And then moved to DC, uh, started my master's program, and then we became roommates. And been friends ever since. And then now I'm really tickled that now uh, we've gone our separate ways and he's doing other work, especially in workforce development, but we keep trying to And other folks that I know during that internship time, we keep finding ways to connect with each other, working on projects, going, hey, what are you working on now? And maybe there's a way that we can all work together um, type. So I am really thankful for those individuals who took the investment and me, those individuals who kept a lookout and said, hey, have you considered this? And just my family giving the support to be a bit adventurous and go off and live and work in DC for two months all by myself. <laughs> That's phenomenal. This, this, Rebecca, this has been incredibly interesting. I have learned so much. Oh, wonderful. You, you, I'm so happy to share. This is really important and is definitely a responsibility that I view and take on myself to share not only the question that you asked earlier about the, the impact into Indian country, but just uh, making sure that tribal governments and tribal programs and tribal economies are represented. Really appreciate the opportunity to share today. Thank you. Before we go, I have to ask about your beta fish. Because uh, the other day, I was in the pet store with my wife, 
And it was actually the first time I've been in a pet store in a, in a very long time. And truthfully, we started the COVID pandemic without any pets. And a few months in, we got a cat. And then a few months went by and we got a dog. So now we have a cat and a dog. And, and I, we went to the pet store for the first time to, to pick something up. And I saw these betta fish in the little glasses, the little cups. And I remember, you know, seeing those when I was a kid. And so I really wonder, do they, can they really live in that little cup? Are they, is that okay? So for myself, so uh, my betta fish is a uh, COVID quarantine. I live, I, I have an apartment by myself. I'm working from home and it was getting really lonely, isolated. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though in this virtual platform, I was like by myself. Uh, and so, yeah, I, that, that's with my beta fish. I, I think they can, but I got a full setup of a aquarium to give more room and space. Just, I know that it comes up in the little cups. I see that more of a transportation mode than an actual living quarter. So just with your, with the cats and dogs, you might have a smaller carry case at home, but then they have more room and space to grow. That was, it, it, it's been an interesting connection because back when you're really little and people are like, what do you want to do when you grow up? That type of thing. I actually really wanted to be a brain biologist. And I had a, I think it was like close to a 20 gallon tank growing up. That was my pet and my sort of like pet responsibility as a little kid growing up, making sure that the fish were fed and the tank stays clean and the pH level and all those chemicals are where they need to be. So it's been great reconnecting with some of that work. I wanted to be a marine biologist other than the fish, but it was all kind of connected. Of course. This is uh, this is fantastic. I, I so appreciate uh, you taking this time to talk to me and, and tell our listeners about what it is that you do. If our listeners would like to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Two ways probably the best personally would be through LinkedIn. If you want to know more about Indian country or development in Indian country, you can visit the USET website at www.usetinc.org. Perfect. And what's the website address for the directory? Oh, yes. That is actually, when you go to the USET website, uh, you will be able to search through the department's and if you click the Economic Development Department, one of the first sort of buttons that you'll see is the Tribal Enterprise Directory. We'll link that in the show notes. Awesome. Well, well Rebecca, it's been really great, and I appreciate it. And I hope to uh, see you around and have an opportunity to meet you at some point in the future in person. Absolutely. Let me share. Uh, Mado. Mado is the Muscogee Creek word for thank you. So thank now you. everyone knows a Muscogee uh, Creek word. Thank you, Rebecca. Mado. And Mado to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening to the Econ Dev Show. See you soon. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.